we need to find a way how to incentivize and integrate private capital. The forces which this can unleash, the reduction we have seen in the cost of technology, all related to renewable electricity power management, you need to somehow harness this. This is the Interchange Recharged. I'm David Van Miller. Last year, I spoke with Harold Overholm from Alight. Alight is a provider of solar power purchase agreements in the Nordics. Six months on from that conversation, I'm sitting down with Luca from Pexapark. Pexapark also offers wind and solar power purchase agreements, and in the last six months, they've seen big changes in the market. Think of this as a follow-up to our discussions on PPA last year. Ten years ago, the PPA market was driven by utilities. Today, it's grown to include corporate off-takers with their own demand and connections to renewable producers. Luca, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about Pexapark and your business. Pexapark is a young company. I turned my passion into a company. And what is my passion? It's somehow to have an impact on the energy transition. And what do we do? We help get PPAs done. So... By doing that, we, we build an operating system to manage renewable electricity from A to Z on wholesale market. And we think that's a major thing in the energy transition. So in 2021, I know that we had a large growth in PPAs, particularly in Europe. I know there was a 58% CAGR in deal count and 42% increase in contracted capacity. What, what were the drivers behind that? Yeah, let's take a step back. I mean, where do those PPAs come from? At least in Europe, uh, the initial phase of the energy transition was governed by feeding tariffs, subsidies. And they had a fantastic effect because they allowed investors to focus on capex, on reducing technology cost. And that was super successful. And technologies got cheap. Solar got cheap. Onshore wind got cheap. It got so economical that investors were looking for an alternative way to the market. And that's the PPA. The PPA allows uh, investors to realize, realize investments outside of auctions and subsidy regimes. And hence, you can say that, among others, uh, price is a key driver of PPAs. So if prices are super high, price volatility is super high, this may lead to more or less PPAs. So that's a key factor when discussing PPA markets. And what's the breakout between kind of corporate off-takers versus utilities? It's very dynamic. It's changing. Initially, 10 years ago, the, the PPA market was very much driven by utilities and traders. They were providing some kind of, you can understand PPAs as a service, as a risk management service where they take on risks. But it grew to include as well corporate off-takers. So, and what is the big difference? Corporates have their own use demand. And they can go as well on the market, on the private market and say, hey, I need, I want green energy and contract directly or indirectly with renewable producers. And the share has been shifting towards corporates. Uh, it used to be, let's say, five, six years ago, 20, 30%, and it's now well above 50%. And what's driving that growth in the corporates versus utilities? There are different procurement logics, how those two groups approach PPAs. Now, a utility trader comes from a risk management mindset. They're taking on a position. They want to manage this position and secure a margin. And they typically rely on traded wholesale markets. So it's sophisticated 
pricing, risk management, and trading operations to actually come up with a PPA. And at the heart, you need risk capital. You need uh, traders, you need a mid office, you need risk management to offer this uh, service. Now, on the other side of corporate, they just see that they need electricity. And one framing is definitely what is the cost of electricity in my end product? If this is very high, they have a very critical interest in their electricity costs. So if you're an aluminium producer, copper producer, and 40, 50% of your end product, the cost of your end product is defined by the electricity cost, you really want to understand and manage that. But increasingly, as we have seen over the last years, also the green credentials. So the genuine interest to decarbonize, for example, the, the value chain in a production and move from fossil to, to green energy. So those two drivers are very big. But depending on how high the share of electricity is, uh, the more advanced the corporate sector is in, in the PPA space. I know 21 saw a significant amount of price volatility, particularly in the fourth quarter. How is that impacting these PPAs and particularly who the offtaker is? Let me say that the best environment to do PPAs is when there are moderate price changes. And we're just on the opposite. If prices change 10, 15, even more euros or dollars intraday, it becomes very difficult for counterparties to agree on what the fair price is. And we're currently in such a situation. And despite that, we're seeing lots of deals. But generally speaking, we would expect a, a negative impact of this high price volatility on actual deal closure. It just increases the cost of trading. It increases the cost of deal making. And I know that uh, the utilities tend to use a, a hedging program to offset some of their risk, but the correlation to the hedges that they were using in 21 broke down. What caused the breakdown in that correlation, which exposed a lot of these utilities to that price volatility? A very good question. So as you rightly pointed out, those utilities and traders uh, offer a risk service and it's based on uh, modeling, trading. So they are assessing certain price risks. So how will curves move? Because they are actually proxy hatching. So if you offer a one-year PPA, it's relatively straightforward because there are lots of liquidity for one-year contracts, baseload contracts, and they, they can take risks in and they can put risks out again. Now, when we're talking PPA, implicitly, we always assume it's a long-term contract, 10 years out of the history of the PPA market. Now, it's easy to buy 10 years, but how can you place this risk on the market? There is not a ready available offset for those 10 years. And what risk managers, traders, utilities do is they will warehouse the risks and they will manage it with more liquid contracts based on certain assumptions, how prices on the short and the long end move. And those are based on models. They are risk tested, they are stress tested, but certain correlations and assumptions broke down during, as we say, unprecedented uh, observance of price volatility. And this has come at an extra cost. And that's a, a key thing, which is increasing costs for PPAs and eventually leading to a shift, a change in, in the market structure. And is that really kind of in, in relation to the tenor as well? I mean, what do you think the longer term or the impact on the longer term PPAs is? Because I know 
that you can use the proxy hedges for something that's a more illiquid out on the longer end of the curve, right? You've got a very liquid short-term market, but there are some products that are are much more liquid further out that can be used as a proxy. But sometimes, again, in, in volatility, that correlation breaks down, which really exposes. So do you see an impact on the longer-term PPA then going forward? We see it very much, and uh, we call it liquidity cost. And you can observe and calculate liquidity costs along the tenor. And they're very low on the short PPA market one year. And they have increased tremendously for mid to long-term PPAs. Now, what is the effect? Well, long-term PPAs have become, relatively speaking, more expensive compared to short-term PPAs. So a rational investor will rather take shorter-term contracts. Now, this has been a bit subdued in the market because prices have risen dramatically, twofold, threefold, while discounts have also increased dramatically. But from a seller's perspective, it looked just good. Now, if you can sell suddenly at 100 euro instead of the 30 euros you're used to, you're a bit less, well, what should I say? You're not so focused anymore on the PPA discount you're actually charged. But that's just the short term. I think, uh, as you pointed out, this might have tremendous long-term impact on the market. And one thing we see is a segmenting of the market. We would expect the short-term PPA market to rise and grow much stronger than the the long-term PPA market. And what does that do from an investment standpoint? Uh, I mean, investors obviously like to see that longer-term contracted revenue. But if the market's shifting towards a shorter-term environment... Is that going to impact the investment dollars coming in? Well, that's the big question out there. So we actually feel the the nature of the asset class is changing because when we started our conversation, we said, where where are we coming from, from the subsidy world where all the risk was in technology and how much volume will we have? And this has been solved or we can answer those questions. But we were used to 20 years secured returns. And now the initial PPA ways was kind of a proxy for that. You still could get 15-year contracts. And this is getting more expensive. So the first answer would be, well, it's all about risk return. Uh, you have shorter tenors, but you have a higher return. The question is whether this will attract the same interest uh, on the financial side or whether capital structure and type of investors will also change along with the change in the, in the markets. You know, it's also interesting, I mean, going back to an earlier point you made about some of these huge energy users, uh, and, and sometimes the product can be, uh, the price, the end price of the product could be 50% of, of the energy cost that goes, actually, that goes into it. If you're looking at a short-term PPA market, what are your thoughts in terms of continuing to drive potential equity investment in these, in these projects? Kind of like what we saw with BASF's investment equity investment in a offshore wind farm. Do you, do you think you'd expect to see more of that direct equity investment to procure some of that longer term energy? Yeah, that's something we see. So uh, along the splitting of the PPA market in the short term and the long term, we see also uh, a super long term or equity driven uh, PPA market. So for very large scale projects, uh, we have observed that PPAs are combined with equity investments. And Pricing in those deals is not just derived from commodity markets, but you will clearly also see elements from uh, from an investment point of view. And we would expect this segment to grow. 
and to be firmly in, for example, in the offshore space where we're looking at deal sizes of one gigawatt to two gigawatts, whereas the classical PPM market, we are talking a 50 to 200 megawatt transaction. I mean, it seems like with, with a lot going on in the energy transition of PPAs, 2021, like we talked about, had a lot of volatility uh, and impacts to it in, in a changing environment all the way around. And I've always said that the energy transition has so many pieces to it that are evolving, one of which being is the impact of the current inflationary environment uh, and, and rising interest rates. What do you see the impact going forward of the current environment as it relates to these PPAs? So. The increased levels of inflation, we don't directly see in PPA pricing yet. What we are seeing is just a complete different macro environment. There is tremendous demand for additional green capacity. There is significant issues on the supply chains. There is generally a much higher cost for integrating renewables into the grid. So we're seeing fragments or the first signs of a complete new market environment for renewables. We have come from a a stage where renewables were new. The new kids on the block, they were subsidized. There was low penetration to now where we are quite high in penetration of renewables and we have new needs. So what is becoming important is the system value. So when we are at 40, 50, 60% of renewable integration, we still rely and work with the existing fossil backup system and this is now in a change so what will become extremely important next to the classical PPA world as well how do you manage your positions how do you manage your capacity can you ramp up can you ramp down this will be a tremendous source of value and opportunity for renewable investors that it's not just about the initial investment but there's so much value as well in the actual management of those renewables. And that's the exciting phase about the energy transition or the new phase we're into. And looking at that and and listening to you talk, I mean, it it seems almost like a general evolution of the industry in that direction. What are your thoughts on that? I hope so. Uh, I right now see a lot of wobbles. I see stresses in the system. We see the, the price volatility, which was already here before the war. Uh, we shouldn't forget about that. The high renewable penetration was already here. So uh, what I miss a bit is we don't have yet a general view policy-wise how, how we should best support that. We clearly need uh, to focus on capacity. So this has become much more important and will actually be the key question. How do we back up? How do we shape production? How do we flexibilize demand? Uh, we're becoming more weather dependent. We're becoming actually not so much more integrated. So there are some big questions for policymakers and market participants in actually how to shape this up. It's not just about who can produce cheapest. Uh, I think we have proven that. But when you look at system costs, we still have quite some way to go. And the political risk associated with it, how, how is that being priced in? Because obviously we saw an impact on investors with what Spain did in terms of trying to soften the impact to the end user. So political risk obviously remains. How's that being factored into the discussions? What we currently see is definitely a resurgence of political risk for very obvious reasons. Households, retail customers are badly affected. And somehow there is the 
day-to-day political requirement to show that uh, this is not left unanswered. But for example, all those windfall taxes are temporary measures. They don't answer the fundamental questions we just touched upon. What, what shall be the system design? How do we secure capacity if there's no wind and if there's no solar? Is it economical? Can we afford it? What is the role of nuclear? Will we be able to further integrate across borders? So there's a lot of stuff to be answered, which is not yet fully clear. And uh, regulatory risk has always been here. It never goes away. I mean, we're dealing in electricity. And for me, electricity, the whole grid, it's the mother of all systems. I mean, when you see what everything which relies on a functioning grid, a secure, reliable and cost-effective power system, for me, this is the key driver of civilization or one of the big driver of our progress. And when you see the programs which are being put up, it looks all that we're going to electrify. And just look at my, my house, my situation. I, I'm a house owner. I have uh, so far, I don't have electrical mobile. I don't have, I still have a gas heater. Now, if I were to change this to an EV and to a heat pump, I will triple my electricity consumption from 3000 kilowatt hours to probably nine to 10,000 kilowatt hours a year. And that's just as an average for the typical household. And we're not even discussing electrification of industry. So it's easy to project double tripling electricity demand in advanced societies uh, in Europe. And it's not clear where we're going to get all this power from in the next 10 years. So this is, we're just at the very, very beginning of the energy transition. I think the real hard things are still ahead of us. Yeah, it's a, it's a dynamic evol- environment, consistently evolving. And there are a lot of questions in terms of what the playing field is going to look like. And I think that's what everybody's trying to get there get their arms around. And I mean, it, it doesn't help that as we're trying to figure these out, we're in an inflationary and rising rate environment. Uh, curious as to your thoughts on the impact on the investment community and money flowing into these types of projects with higher rates and how that would flow through because we had a significant rate increase here in the US. I think it was last week or, or the week before. My personal view is that it's not over yet. I think we're going to continue to see a rising rate environment. Uh, so wanted to know what you were thinking that impact would be on the investment community in these types of deals. Yeah, I was just talking to a few uh, investors and uh, asking the same question. So how the change in monetary politics, uh, increase in interest rates, how does this factor through to your investment? And don't see it yet. Don't see it yet. So it has not yet affected the market value of, of projects uh, as there's just so much demand for projects and the values have kept high. That's just the situation as, as it is now. But frankly, just looking at the plans and the pipelines, it will be very difficult to quickly ramp up. So I just don't see a flowering of onshore new onshore wind projects across Europe. When you look at permitting times of seven years, it requires significant policy changes, lots of political capital to change this. So for example, in Germany, they want to allocate now 2% of the surface territory to onshore wind. That's roughly double to what they have now. And if you compare this with other infrastructure, that's the same surface coverage as we have for for all roads. I mean, I just don't see it yet. (laughs) I I really don't see it yet. How are you going to do that quickly? 
And so the demand is there for green energy. Uh, project uh, ramp up will take time. So I'm actually still quite bullish for the value of renewable investments for as an asset class itself. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, th that that's a, a key issue, right? The permitting process. I mean, you said the demand's there and the demand is there. Uh, but you've got so many different factors going into it. You've got nimbyism. Uh, someone saying, yes, I'm all for this. But then all of a sudden, if it's going to block their view, sorry, I'm no longer in favor of it. So there's a lot of things that have to be worked through over time uh, to be able to meet the demand, which which clearly is there. Absolutely. I mean, let's just look at the, the new type of industrial demand we have. So there's gigawatts of electrolyzer projects coming. Uh, you have another new infrastructure being built with the data centers and the data networks. And uh, there's this relentless Mr. Bezos of Amazon, and they have set out to power their data centers with renewable projects. And I mean, just Amazon accounted for roughly 8% of all PPA projects in Europe since 2019, and they're growing 20%. And that's just not Amazon. If you if you look across left and right uh, in this industry, they're all growing at the same pace. So massive, massive demand for green. All the chemical industry, which so far has been built on gas, they're making huge investment in electrification. And there was this very well-regarded offshore deal, 1.5 gigawatts in, in, in the Netherlands with BISF. Uh, we talked about it's it's a combination of an equity investment with a long-term PPA. Now, put that aside, whatever the deal structure is, they need the five other offshore parks in the next 10 years. And that's just unbelievable amounts uh, of green energy. And that's just one company. Of course, it's a big company. But uh, when you look in Germany or in the Netherlands, only Belgium, you, you see quite another few uh, chemical companies with similar demands. And... I don't see how we're going to ramp this up quickly. That I mean really quickly. You will see over 10 years massive offshore capacity being developed, but the ramp up just takes time. Can you explain the difference uh, between you know, the PPAs as well as the, the baseload uh, PPAs, the, the pay as produced, uh, and some of the differentiators there? Well, baseload is in a sum. If, if you produce one megawatt each hour, that's the frame for a baseload contract. You have this throughout the year, every hour, the same capacity delivered. Now, as we all know, renewables don't produce the same amount of electricity in a given hour. The value of the renewable electricity production is hence a discount or a premium to the baseload contract. And uh, what we then do is we look at those risks that renewables have in comparison to baseload contracts, because baseload contracts are actually traded. So if people talk about forward prices, we all assume that's a baseload contract. So if we talk about what is Germany uh, 2023 traded, it's always about the baseload contract. So this is where market participants can actually trade risks. And now if you happen to be a renewable, we need to see what is our relative value compared to a baseload. So if I produce more in a given hour, what type of price will I have? Is it lower or higher compared to the baseload contract? And that's the key driver. And here comes in this risk called capture or cannibalization. If there is more and more and more of the same renewable at the same spot producing, this will depress the price. And your relative value compared to a baseload contract will diminish. 
more of the value is actually in the ability to manage this capture risk by having diversification of the portfolio, by adding batteries to shape production, by turning down, turning up. And this is what I meant with going across the whole deal life cycle of the asset. It doesn't stop with concluding the PPA. Whatever contract you may close, you need to keep those risks. They will change and you will actively manage it. And that's a sea change for renewable investors. They were focused so far on project finance, on project development, finding those, those lands, permitting. And now suddenly they need to add this risk management energy sales capabilities, which so far were just with, let's say, 10 traders. So there's currently a huge rush to acquire traders and portfolio management, helping those investors to manage those risks. And it, and it makes sense. I mean, it goes back to the, the natural evolution. I mean, as these projects were built, they had a, a probably a, a single or key offtake agreement that was able to help get the financing necessary. And that was it. Well, as we, we evolved to, to either shorter term PPAs, much more of a merchant environment, uh, there is that, that risk impact to the business model, uh, which essentially is Pexapark filling that gap to be able to help to manage those risks, uh, both from a market, but operationally as well. Yeah, because nowadays, you, if you go into the market, you will have 10, 12 different structured offers. Someone offers you and pay is produced, someone offering you a fixed profile for different volumes, uh, for different timeframes with different credit. It's still possible to do uh, the full de-risking contract, but it comes at the cost. That's as we discussed with the tenor, uh, with liquidity costs increasing over the tenor, you, you see the same on all the different aspects of renewable risks. There is a price attached to it. And the better an investor is able to understand those risks and then to manage it, he gains a key advantage in securing extra return for his investors. And that's what the game is all about. And that's why we're actually seeing a change in how the players are setting up. We're seeing vertical integration. So you're seeing clearly that financial investors are going downwards. By that, I mean they add and build up risk management. They're hiring PPA teams. Well, they even get trading licenses, building up trading floors. They even by retailers, so to be able to manage the entire value chain of energy risk, trading, and energy sales, thereby getting better diversification, less risk, and the ability to tap additional value pools. That's something which we're observing uh, in the European market, that in institutional investors are doing acquisitions or building up these capabilities to be ready for this next phase of of the PPA market, the next phase of the energy transition. Not dissimilar to how the oil majors have kind of involved with their vertical integration and going down to help reduce that risk or bring it at least in-house. That's a super point. And that's also the new kids on the, on the block in the renewable market. You have Total, BP, Shell entering renewable market. And what is remarkable about them is, first of all, they, they bring the full vertical. So they, of course, understand project development. They understand big uh, capital projects, but they already have in-house risk management trading desks. They have feet on the ground to sell oil and gas to industrials. So they could complement that with power sales so they can manage those illiquid contracts much better. 
And you're actually seeing this when you see how Total set itself up in Spain, covering the full chain down to retail, PPAs, project development, trading. And that's a major source of, uh, of strength and value, and hence an interesting development for the renewable market. Probably the main issue for oil majors is that still it's less lucrative than their original investment, but that's another story. You know, with, with all the talk about costs uh, and things that are evolving and, and increasing the trading community around these, I would expect that that would have an impact, obviously, on prices going forward. So, I mean, do you see a rising price environment or do you think some of this ver vertical integration will help to stabilize it? But when you forecast what it looks like going forward the next year or two, uh, what are your thoughts on prices? I'm completely agnostic on price forecasts. I just noticed that the levels of uncertainty are as high as never in my career. I just have sentiments. One very strong sentiment is that the pools of values and risks are shifting. It's becoming more important to focus on on system cost, so not just on LCOE, but on the capability also to ramp up, ramp down, and to cover your shortfalls. And then on the fundamental outlook, it's just very clouded. I mean, uh, there's a huge risk premium due to the war. There are significant policy changes in the way primary energy is procured, but this is not clear how this will look like in, in one, two, three years. So it's a, a very difficult environment to make any good best estimates on uh, what it is. So I just see the, the possible outcomes have, the distribution of possible outcomes is much wider. If you were to pick a couple things that you think need to be done, whether it be it from a financial standpoint, policy standpoint, to help alleviate some of that uncertainty and bring that, that band of different scenarios a little bit closer together, what would you say those are? That's a good question. I I would love to have the power to rule, but typically when, when you walk around and you say, yeah, the solution is very clear, we need to do this and that, but then you go down to the details, it becomes very difficult. But what I just recognize is we need to find a way how to incentivize and integrate private capital. I mean, the forces which this can unleash, yeah, the reduction we have seen in capital, I mean, just in, in the cost of technology, all the, the cool things we see in the heating sector, in the tech sector, all related, I mean, all related to renewable uh, electricity power management, you need to somehow har harness this and, and, and allow to power that while acknowledging that this is the mother of the networks, reliability, security of supply are key concerns. So it's actually a very interesting question. And uh, yeah, it's probably very easy to criticize uh, the policymakers, uh, but no clear answers that yet. Yeah, I recognize it's a difficult question, right? Because one thing that we've, we've noticed on this podcast in particular is, um, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, we need policy changes in this area. But as you really drill down, uh, the impacts can be pretty severe. Uh, and, and unforeseen. I think that that's what we're witnessing a lot of is is the law of unintended consequences. And that's why this is a transition evolving and we kind of hit hit the roadblocks and move beyond them. Uh, but I think everybody's really learning at the same time and try, it, it got the end goal 
consistent across the board. Uh, the journey is what's up for debate. Yeah. If I'm self-critical about my industry, the renewables, and I'm 15 years now, and, and I want to make this succeed, is that it's not just about solar and wind and saying that they have the, the cheapest LCOE. I think it's much more complex. So I think uh, as an industry, we probably need to go beyond this myopia, just thinking about uh, doing more of those investments and that we are the best, but acknowledging that it's a steel, steep uphill battle and we haven't solved it all. Batteries are not the solution for everything. Uh, electrolyzer are not the solution for everything. All of those things have a huge cost. And at some point this will come back. And that's some of my fears is that the whole cost of the energy transition so far was easy to finance. It was hidden. It was paid by retail consumers. And this could produce a, a big backlash now. I mean, the average household bill in Germany will increase by a thousand euros. That's massive. We see energy poverty in the UK tripling. This will have impacts on policymakers and the way we will structure our system. So I think we shouldn't be too confident in, in our successes from the past, but actually talk also with the other side. And by the other side, I mean uh, the existing backup system, uh, the existing legacy investments. Uh, we should be proud of what they have built and the service they have brought to us and while acknowledging that they will have a different place in the future system if you want to go really down a decarbonization road. I mean, that's the key is continuing to gain the consumer support, which is not paying 300% more than you're paying today, uh, or you know, impacting investors from the political risk as we saw in Spain, because that's Obviously, policymakers come in to, to benefit the end user. And so having everybody with a seat at the table as part of the discussion and part of the solution, I agree with you. I mean, oil and gas companies, your traditional ones, are going to have a different place in the future. I think they recognize it, which is why you see uh, them entering into renewables. Uh, they want to take advantage and be, and be part of that. Uh, but I think it's a holistic discussion involving all parties because that's the way you're going to come to a solution. Let's look at a no-brainer investment from an energy security and uh, cost of power view, uh, interconnectors. That's the best investment we can do, just build more lines between countries. But hey, uh, from a national policy making point of view, why should I, as Norwegian, build more lines to the UK, leading to higher prices for Norwegians? And these are very rational things, uh, which we shouldn't underestimate. So this is very difficult in the European context to find a, a solution which fits everyone, uh, which is still democratic, uh, which brings along uh, all the communities that need to actually sign this off. So tremendous uh, opportunity ahead, but also tremendous challenge to get done. So what do you think is the future then of the PPA market in, in five years down the road? Well, I would see it booming. I would say the classical PPA market, let's say the classical 10-year long-term PPA market will more or less stay as it is today in terms of size. That's roughly uh, 20 gigawatts a year. We will see a booming short-term PPA market. Like, And by short-term, I mean anything which is 
between one, three to five years, anything which is liquid. And this will just, we see it already now, it's, it's skyrocketing. And we will see a huge market in the super long term PPA market. So looking at all the new offshore uh, parks, all at the very large industrial corporate PPAs, we would see them in those fields. So three big PPA markets, short term, long term, uh, ultra long term PPA markets all together at least double, triple the size. I mean, when we look at what needs to be built, and if I'm just gobbling up the statistics, we have approximately 800 gigawatts to build. Now, we know that 250 of those gigawatts are already in announced auctions. So that's taken. Now the rest is up for the PPA market, be it short-term, long-term, or ultra-long-term PPAs. So whatever it is compared to the 20 gigawatts we have now, it will be much bigger, double, triple. The main growth obstacle is, will there be projects? Do we get the supply chain up? Do we get the permitting solved? Will we bring new capacity down to the ground? So the demand is going to be there that the PPA market will help fulfill. Uh, it's just the, the supply and the projects that need to come online. In terms of those long-term and ultra-long-term, I assume that the vast majority of those investors in those are going to be corporates? Well, there's tremendous interest from the financial investors. So far, the offshore scene, or let's say the offshore investments have been more tuned to utility investors, uh, balance sheet investing, but this is changing quickly. And uh, it's changing also thanks to corporate offtakes investments from chemicals, from big data centers. So we will see a major shift there, financial investors entering uh, the offshore market. And on the short-term PPA, it's to be seen. We just know that there is a huge interest from corporates in doing as well short-term PPA, even paying a premium compared to a, a non-green PPA. And that would actually remove a big bottleneck because if the whole business model of renewable investment is restricted to long-term PPAs, you're dependent on risk appetite from off-takers. And making this independent of those risk appetite, because you can be on a much more liquid traded market where there is natural demand, this is actually a key positive development for the overall renewable investment market for the PPA market itself. Because that's going to allow a more liquid hedging market to help offset the risk. Yeah. Let's look at what is the natural trading horizon. It's typically one to three years. Look at our, uh, look at my household bill. It's fixed for one year. Uh, look at the typical industrial there. Uh, they look at the product cycle they have, uh, and it's typically one, two, three years. And only the very exceptional industrials that have super high electricity costs in their product have different needs. Uh, we talked about the whole metal industry. We talked about the data industry centers. So they are the exception. They are growing. But when you look at the entire industrial demand in Europe, it's a thousand terawatt hours. And the whole data center uh, market in Europe is approximately 80 terawatt, albeit growing quickly. And I would say the rest outside of this, the actual long-term PPA demand among industrials is rather limited. So if you're able to open up a market which allows corporate PPAs 
for new renewable capacity in shorter term contracts, you will see the boom of the boom. I mean, the, the PPA boom of the last two, three years will look very small in comparison. Exactly. I mean, when you look at traditional commodity markets, I mean, like you said, one to three years from a, a hedging standpoint, but some commodities, three to five is okay. But really after three and definitely after five years, the market liquidity drops off drastically. And, and then you're looking at either dirty hedges uh, or paying a significant premium for, for that longer tenor. And you know, where will the security be from? So we will maybe have a lot of listeners now screaming, saying exactly, but we're, we need the 10 years to attract this capital, the private capital. There are other ways to secure the returns, and that's mainly by diversification. So integrating along the value chain, being able to tap the value pools down the road. So managing the energy, managing the balancing, managing the capture risk, and diversifying across technology and price zones. This provides stable returns in the way a single asset investment with a long-term PPA does, but will not be able in the future. Well, look, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been very enlightening. Uh, enjoyed having the conversation around what you're seeing in the market and, and particularly a lot of the challenges that are being faced. But I think getting them out there up front, uh, addressing them is the best way to move forward. But appreciate your time uh, and the conversation. Thanks a lot. And thank you all for listening. Please do get in touch with us on Twitter and let us know what topics you want to hear about. We're at Interchange Show. I'm David Bandmiller. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh,